You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. I just want to thank y'all for the opportunity um, to be able to share, not preach, just share from my heart. And um, as you know, I usually share from where God has me and what he's teaching me. And so, um, try not to cry. You're going to find out where I am. And maybe some of you are there also. And that's why. Um, I share and I believe the Lord has me to share from time to time is just to be able to be gut honest and talk about where we live and um, how we deal with things. And first of all, I just want to take a, a, just a small point of privilege only because, and I'm telling you this is straight uh, glory to God, some of you over the years have prayed for my son, Jared. And I remember, and some of you probably remember Monty talking about, I've got one kid, he's coming around back, you know, he's back on the backside of the moon, but he's coming around. Well, I just want y'all to know that your prayers have been answered. And he is uh, happily married, has a precious little girl, and is uh, in a church that he loves. They're about to be moving, but I'm sure they'll find one when they get there. So I just want to thank you for your prayers. And I just want you to know that God answers prayer. And, you know, just because someone leaves this earth doesn't mean that their prayers stop being answered. Those prayers go on. And the prayers that you're praying for your kids or your family or your friends or whoever you're praying for, keep praying because those prayers will be answered. God is faithful. He is faithful. And literally I said that to be a praise to the Lord, not to, it's not a bragamony on my son at all. It's just... I know that God has shown me his, he has answered that prayer to the fullest, and I'm very thankful and grateful. This morning I want to share with you um, about contentment. And I did it right this time. Last time I messed it up. Uh, we're going to talk about contentment, the benefits of contentment, and its enemies. Um, not long ago, actually just a couple of weeks ago, my daughters blessed me with, um, they came and redid the office for me in my house and so that I could start writing on Monty's booklets and things and in the meantime I was talking to my daughter in Austin a lot Annie and um, we were having a conversation one day and I just kind of was letting off steam and venting about things and um, frustration that I was having and she said mom it always hurts when your kids preach back to you you know she said mom she said I really think that the problem here, the underlying problem, is that you are not content. And I thought, not me. I'm content. I love the Lord. I'm walking with the Lord. I'm struggling, but I'm okay. And the Lord spoke to my heart, and he said, no, you're not. You're not content with where you are. And it broke my heart. I said, God, I'm so sorry because you are good and you are wonderful and you have blessed me beyond all measure. And yet sometimes we get in these places where we're not content. And I told Annie, I said, do you really think that's what the bottom line is? She said, I do in my heart. And I said, you know, um, I kind of got, you know, I was talking to her and everything. And she goes, Mom, I'm just telling you what you always told me. You know, wherever you go, there you are. So be content with what you have. Be content where you are. And all of you may be, I may be the only one that's not content in this situation. I may be the only one. 
But I have a feeling that there's more than just me, that you might be going through a situation, an illness, a financial issue, um, a loss of some kind, whatever, but to where you feel like you are not content with where God has you and where you are. But the bottom line of all that is that he is wherever you are. And if he's there, we have everything to thank God for. But in the midst of it, we're going to talk about some things that God showed me. So the first one is, uh, what does it mean to be content? The dictionary definition, and this is from dictionary.com. I always like to give just the general um, definition. It says, satisfied with what one is or has, not wanting more or anything else. Now, we've probably all been at that place at some time, but I don't think we've all been at that place all the time. There's times that we are not. We're wanting more or we're feeling like we're not satisfied with exactly what we have. And so some of the synonyms would be if you're content, if you're satisfied, you're happy, you're agreeable, you're comfortable, you're fulfilled, satisfied, willing, appeased, gratified, at ease, can't complain, uh, you ask a lot of uh, older gentlemen, how you doing? Can't complain. That's great. That's a wonderful thing. Complacent, complacent, pleased, and peaceful. The opposite of that would be if you're feeling discontented, unhappy, unsatisfied, upset, depressed, disagreeable, disturbed, needy, or wanting. So one of the people that talked about contentment was uh, the Apostle Paul. And we have to remember that when he was talking about being content in whatever state he was, the time that he wrote that, he was in prison. And I was actually able to see in Rome the, the place where he was in prison, prison at the Mamertine prison. And it was a very small, dank, damp, there was kind of water seepage. It was so gross and so awful and so small. And I just, you're, when you're there, you just feel like you could feel how it must have felt for Paul to be so trapped and so not just bars it was just walls it was awful and that's where he was talking to Timothy about being content in whatever state he's in the first thing he said was I have learned to be content so we come here pretty content as a baby until we need milk or we need uh, a diaper change or something we're pretty content, but as soon as things get uncomfortable and our needs aren't met, we can become discontented. He said, I've learned to be content, which means satisfied to the point where I'm not disturbed or disquieted in whatever state I am. That's the Amplified in Philippians 4.11. Paul made this statement from his prison cell after being charged with preaching the gospel of Christ. And sometimes we think, you know, Lord, I'm doing what you called me to do. I'm there. I'm doing what you told me to do. I feel like I'm, you know, I'm right there. And yet we feel um, that we've, we're being persecuted, not to the point Paul was. But we all have walls, cells, bars that we deal with. But he was doing what God called him to do and yet was thrown into prison for that. So he learned to be content. It wasn't something that came natural to him. But in all these situations, he had been shipwrecked. He had been beaten. He had been in prison, not for doing bad things. He had been in prison for preaching the gospel of Christ. And he was saying to Timothy, listen, all of these things that you're dealing with in this new church, he was a new pastor. And I feel like 
just in my heart, I don't know. I feel like Timothy might have been a little bit timid, like a little bit shy, not as bold as Paul was. And Paul was always giving him encouragement and telling him, this is, this is what you need to do, and don't do this, and don't pay attention to that. And, you know, all through First and Second Timothy, he's encouraging him. He said, whatever state meant that when he was free and out of prison or when he was being imprisoned for his faith. So wherever Paul was, he had learned to be content. And the contentment was with natural things. He specifically says that it was the natural, not the spiritual. Paul had plenty to complain about in the natural. He was in chains and accused and imprisoned for doing what God had called him to do. He had no comforts to speak of, and yet he learned to be content. So it's something that we have to learn to do. And some of you may have grown up with parents who constantly were telling you that, which is a good thing. You know, look, be happy for the roof over your head. Be happy for the food you have and the, and the things on the table. But nowadays, we have so many more things out there that we can want to have. What did Paul say to Timothy about contentment? He said, but if we have food and clothing, with these we shall be content or satisfied, 1 Timothy 6, 8. And he was saying this from prison. Timothy was not in prison. He was saying, look, as long as you got food and clothing, you're going to be all right. Food and clothing were the bare necessities, and yet Paul says that we should be content to just have that. You know, we do have that. We live in America, and America, with all the problems that it has, we live in a wonderful place. We live in a free place, and we have food and shelter and clothing. Paul was not being, uh, speaking of being content spiritually speaking, but rather on a physical, a human level. And then he talked about contentment, and he used the word satisfied in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews 13, 5, it says, And be satisfied with your present circumstances and with what you have. For he, God himself, has said, I will not in any way fail you, or give you up, nor leave you without support. So anyway, anywhere that we get that we feel that we are not content or that we're frustrated or aggravated or don't understand why we are. Have y'all ever been there? You don't understand why this has happened. We don't understand the situation. God is there, right there in the middle of it. And sometimes he'll be quiet. You know, in the Old Testament, he was quiet for 400 years. Can you imagine that? But sometimes... He gets quiet in my life, and I think he's waiting for me to stop overthinking and to shut my mouth so that he can speak to me and tell me what he wants me to hear. This verse also mirrors a verse in the Old Testament in Joshua, which says, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down, or relax my hold on you, the Amplified says. Assuredly not. He says over and over, I'm with you. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to fear the future. You don't have to dwell on the past. I'm here with you right now, and I will be with you forever. The writer of Hebrews was speaking to Jewish Christians to exhort them. He was assuring them that he will always be with them and never leave them. Therefore, they need to be satisfied in whatever circumstances they find themselves. True contentment is based on what Jesus has promised us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And truly, that's it. Because if Jesus is there, there's going to be food and shelter and everything else that we need. There are some enemies of contentment that um, I thought these were really good. I found um, several that I looked at. One of them was regret. You know, it's okay to look back to the past and it's okay to think about the mistakes that you made as long as you remember what you learned from them. 
It's not okay to stay in the past and let it stop you. Because if you stay in the past, what it does is it steals from today. And I think all of us could probably say at different times we have regretted things and we've dwelt on it. And the Lord is saying, don't do that. Go forward. Um, if, a, if you have a constant diet of regretful thinking, it can morph into self-hate or self-loathing where you're so disgusted with yourself. Why did I do that? Why did I waste that much time? Why did I go there or do that? Whatever. Um, but that's not, that's not what God wants for us either. So in 1 John 1, 9, he tells us if we just confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we rebound right back into the game. It's not a game as, as like that, but um, that's a, a thing that Mom used to teach about rebound theory, which is get back in the game, confess your sins, and keep going. <coughs> Excuse me. The Lord wants us to continue to go forward. Backwards is not an option. That does not help us. That keeps us stuck. Nostalgia is an enemy of commitment. You wouldn't think so. But Don Draper said, nostalgia is delicate but potent. It's a twinge in our heart far more powerful than memory alone. It calls to mind the successes and joys of the past. Have you ever got stuck in wishing it was like it used to be? Back in the happy day, back in the day when you really had it, you know, when all things were good. But what it can do, if we continue to think on that, it calls to mind um, all these things and it suffocates today. We can, we can be living in the past, the glory days, um, and that can suffocate us for today. Our lives can never escape the unrealistic burden of having to measure where we are now according to a standard set a year ago. We have to stop thinking about how it used to be. God has better things ahead. He has better things for us uh, to come. And, you know, it's like sometimes we fear the future, and yet God's there already because he's not subject to time. He, he can visit with us when we think about our past. He doesn't remember our sins, but he'll, get, he'll listen to us if we want to talk about it. And he's, he already can visit with us in the future because he's not subject to time. But the time he wants us to be is right now because he woke us up this morning. We breathed. We got up this morning. And so we have a right to, to listen to him and what he wants for our lives. Uh, fear is an enemy of contentment, of course, because some people are so consumed by their fear of what may come tomorrow that they are paralyzed for today. This is where anxiety and worry comes in, and we've talked about that before. Vision. You wouldn't think that vision could be an enemy to contentment, but it can be because some of us are visionaries. Um, how many of you kind of consider yourself to be a visionary? Creative. You're always thinking about something you could do, something somewhere you could go something you could create or invent. Uh, visionaries, it's a good thing to have a vision for the future unless it's to the point that you can't enjoy today when we're so far out there in the, in the future. An obsession with the future, if left unchecked, will not allow you to enjoy the present and appreciate what you have now because you're too focused on future goals. It can cause you to be unsettled inside. And that's what's been happening to me. I've been thinking about, <clears throat> you know, I moved a lot. <laughs> I couldn't decide where I want to live. <clears throat> it's just like I keep thinking, maybe if I go there, and maybe if I do this, and maybe if I do that, kind of like a little kid. I've been like a little kid. You know, but just trying to see, God, do you want me there? Do you want me here? What, what do you want me to, to be doing? And in that, I let myself become unsettled and not trusting 
that God has every step ordered. He has every step for you ordered. He's not surprised by anything, and he's going to pr protect you and provide for you in everything that comes your way. <clears throat> so sorry. Another enemy is multitasking. How many of y'all feel like you have too many irons in the fire? We get that way, <laughs> Corey. <laughs> Got too many irons in the fire. And really, you know, women are good at that. We multitask really well. We get a lot of things going. But sometimes what happens is, is we get ourselves spread so thin and in so many different directions that it's like we're not fully engaged in any of them. And that's when we have to clear the calendar. I know uh, Rachel Hollis talks about every year she goes through her calendar from the previous year and she goes through and she looks at everything that she was involved in and what took the most of her time and she begins to ask herself, is this really fruitful for me? Did this, did this produce happiness and did this produce, produce peace or following God more in this? And if not, then I need to remove it from my schedule. Sometimes we need to clear the schedule out a little bit. We get involved in too many things. And sometimes it can make you feel that you really don't get to celebrate anything. I was thinking about, um, like, sometimes it's like we're, we're so busy thinking about all these other things. We've got something right in front of us, and we're not even excited about it. We're not even being happy about it because we've got our mind on all these different things. Hurriedness and busyness is another enemy to contentment. And I thought this was an interesting comparison. Busyness is doing all the things we're responsible for. We're always saying, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. We are busy. We have a lot more responsibilities than we had 20 years ago, some of us. We've got more responsibilities and more things that we need to do. But hurriedness is when you get frantic about it. My mother used to have a plaque in her kitchen that said, the hurrier I go, the behinder I get. And it seems like that's what happens. The, the more we race and the more frantic we are, we're not stopping to realize what's in front of us. And I thought about a picture of um, maybe you're going to pick up your kid at soccer and you're get in the car, let's go, let's go, hurry, we gotta go pick up the other ones, you know, and they get in the car, mom, mom, I, I did so good today, and you're, yeah, 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 okay, good, we gotta pick up the next ones, <laughs> you know, and then you go pick up the next ones and they're trying to tell you something and you're trying to get, um, get your grocery list written out and it's like all of a sudden we're not living, we're just hurrying. And so we have to stop and even though I don't have all of those responsibilities, I can get my mind so focused on all these different things that I'm not thinking about someone at work who needs me to pray for them, who needs me to be loving and caring to them when they're having a bad day. Contentment, Darren Patrick says, contentment is the fuel for a well-lived life. If you're contented, you're going to have a better life. You are. Even though there are things that you may want, things that you may want to grow to or a desire that you'd like to do, that's wonderful as long as it doesn't take over your life. Contentment versus comparison. The benefits of contentment are these. Um, contentment leads to happiness. You'll have happier times, happier moments. It gives you peace. How many of us just want peace? Have you ever had a day where you're just like, I just need some peace. I just need to be peace and quiet in my heart. It keeps us calm. We don't have to take so much anxiety medicine. It keeps us calm if we're content. It lets your mind rest. You know, how many of us, our minds are just going 90 to nothing all the time. We can't shut it off. And the Lord wants us to let our mind rest. It keeps us grateful for what we have. You know, we, sometimes we don't look around and say, you know, I have, I have a house. I have a car. I have a job. 
you know, I have friends, family, I have a church family, I have all these things I need to be grateful for every day. It shows my faith in God when I'm contented. You know, people see that you're like crazy and you're like all over the map and you're frustrated and you're aggravated, which I've, I've been there a lot lately. Frustrated, that does not show my faith in God. I'm not being a good witness when I'm like that because I'm showing that I'm not trusting God for every little thing in my life. And it lets me enjoy my life right now because you know what? We're not promised tomorrow. I'm not promised this afternoon. So we have to think, take this moment right now sitting here together to enjoy this time together and be thankful for this time and then each moment to remind ourselves to be grateful for where we are. Comparison is is not a good thing. It's the opposite of being content. Comparison with other people leads to envy. It keeps you discouraged with your life. I know that's true. And it's never ending. It's one of those things that if you compare yourself to other people, you are, it's never going to end. There's always going to be someone better than you, better whatever than you, or less than you. It's self-defeating, and it kills your joy. It takes our joy away. It causes resentment toward God. You know, I never in my life had ever been upset with God until the past few years. And I thought, how, how dare I do that? But when you get in a mindset of feeling like you're not where you want to be or you you feel like you're frustrated with your stage in life or your station in life, you can become resentful toward the Lord. And that is the last place we want to be. He's everything. He's the reason we're here to begin with. Um, And it makes comparison with others makes them become your enemy. And they're not our enemy. Other people are not our enemy. We have an enemy, and he's not other people. About contentment uh, versus comparison, few things, Robert Morris said this, it's so good, few things will dissolve your sense of contentment and gratitude faster than the habit of comparing your life and situation to those of others. That can quickly make you very unhappy. And also, one of the main things is a steady diet of social media can lead you down a slippery slope into a swamp of resentment, envy, discouragement, and pride. It really does, doesn't it? I mean, if we, if we really clue in to Facebook and to all of the other social media stuff, we are literally constantly comparing ourselves to what they're doing, who they're with, what's going on in their life, and what's not going on in ours. It's a constant comparison, and it's a really, really scary place to be when that becomes our life. This is life. That's not life. We know that, and I know that, but it's so easy to start looking through and seeing what everybody's doing and how everybody seems blissfully happy, (laughs) don't they? I mean, they seem blissfully happy, and you know they fight like cats and dogs. Some of them, I'm like, these people, oh my gosh, it's so funny. But with comparison, what you end up every day is you're either feeding a sense of of superiority that you're, well, at least I'm not in that, you know, or into inferiority. I wish I was more like that, or I wish I was more like them. Neither is good. We, are, we need to be happy with who God made us and where he has us right now. A constant comparison of yourself with others will lead to the sins of anger and resentment toward God and his provision for you. If we're constantly upset about what we don't have, the things we don't have, then 
eventually we're going to be upset with God because he's not providing that. And that may not be what God has for you. We're exhorted in Hebrews 12.1 to run our race with endurance. Our race. We have a race that is set before us, not someone else's race. And we're supposed to stay in our own lane. You know? We're racing. We're in a race. We're in the good, we're in the good race. We're going forward for Christ. And yet a lot of times we're looking over in this lane and going, well, why did they get that? Or why did they... You know, why did God bless them with this? Or I want that. I want that in my life. And it's not a good place to be. We need to stay in our own lane. So let's ask ourselves, how grateful am I in my current situation? How truly grateful am I? What are you grateful for? Are you grateful for every little thing that you have? Are you just grateful to be alive? What, what are you grateful for? We have food, clothing, shelter, Friends, family, church family. We have, if we have a job, it's meeting our needs. We have all of these things that God has given us. We have so much to be grateful for. And the, one of the reasons that we don't, a lot of times if we're struggling with that, it's because we don't say it out of our mouths. Sometimes I think I'm, I'm thinking I'm grateful for something, but it would be so much better if I would say it out loud to God or to whoever. I am so grateful for my life for my family, for what God has given me. I'm so grateful for that. And how do I feel about myself after a scroll down my friend's Facebook pages? Do I feel better or do I feel worse? Stop and think about that. You know, sometimes if you look and see how many minutes you were on there, that'll give you a clue how how you feel when you get off. Am I angry, envious, or jealous of what my friends and others have that I don't have? We can get there. Most of us are settled and we're older and we're not thinking about that, but we can get that way. We can get that way of someone that's retired early and they're doing all the fun stuff before they get too old. You know, they're having fun. The difference between jealousy and envy is that jealousy says, I want what they have. There's nothing really wrong with that in the light sense. I'd like to have one of those. I'd like that. But jealousy is, I want that. And then envy says, I want that, and I don't want them to have it. That's the difference. And we don't want to ever get into that. It can lead, this kind of stuff, if it snowballs, can lead to futile thinking, which is unproductive and ineffective. And God warns of it in Romans one twenty one. He says, Beware of futile thinking, which caused their foolish hearts to become darkened toward the things of God. We never want our hearts to become darkened. And, you know, if we constantly stay in the I wish I had or I wish this was better or I wish this was different, it's easy to get that way. And lastly, just some final thoughts. Choose a daily scripture for 30 days to be grateful toward the Lord, whatever your scripture is or whatever your thought is toward the Lord. Lord, I love you and I thank you for this, this, and this. Say it for 30 days, every day, and that will become a habit for first thing in the morning to be thankful. And maybe you already do that. Maybe you pray every morning and give God thanks for everything. And I know a lot of us do that, but sometimes we forget to be very grateful for everything he's done. Being content is a learned trait. Paul said, I have learned to be content. If you're not content, you can learn that. I'm having to learn that. Being content brings a great gain. 1 Timothy 6, 6 and 8 said it was a a great gain. 
to be content. And being content is a commanded trait. Hebrews 13.5 says, And be content with what you have. 